Internet. Welcome to another episode of Internet Podcast brought to you by TechSmash Productions. Twisting and tweaking the dials are our producers, D-Mag and Dave DeBrick. Join me in welcoming your hosts, Craig Bell and AJ Shabria, who are about to take us through five sets talking tennis, all that applies and maybe even life as it seems to them. Ladies and gentlemen, Craig Bell and AJ. It happens to be my two tennis professionals and ten- really? We do, we do comedy? We do. And uh, tonight is a more... Uh, more of a think piece, more of a serious episode with you, Jim. Uh, we're pumped to be talking to you. I think we're going to start off with. Uh, we're going to start off with our first set is about Jim, right? Yes. Yes. Then we'll then we'll delve yeah, into. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Then we'll delve into tennis and uh, you know some humor, maybe some entertainment stuff to lighten it up a bit. But yep. you are the one. You're on a serious, serious yes. journey. Tell yeah. us about it, man. Well, okay. Um... You know, I met Craig uh, in 1983 in yeah. September, September 1st or September 2nd. I keep Some, my, my dates are off. Somewhere I, in that time frame. one or the other. You were uh, a freshman at Weber State, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I, I tried to work. He, <laughs> really good tennis players, some really great people, and some not always the greatest people. Um, interesting. Interesting, Jim. Um <laughs> But I had just come off of training at the Nick Voluntary Tennis Academy for three years. Yep. And um, you basically spent your high school years at Nick's. Where, where'd you go, Bradenton Academy or St. Stephen's? I went to Bradenton Academy yep. under uh, Lois and um, Mr. Gerber, and um, enjoyed them immensely. But we worked so hard; you have no idea how hard we worked every single day. Yeah. And just, just unimaginable how hard it worked. We, we didn't um, work. We didn't work that hard at Weber. <laughs> no, no uh, actually, no, I did not. Um, <laughs> Honest that that right. you were so well prepared for college right. tennis, right? Because your of your academy experience, right? Yeah, um, but I had a great college career. Um, my freshman year, I was, I, I was probably not as focused as I should have been. Uh, then uh, continued to play for four more years. After that, I was registered in my first year and then had a great career later at uh, Montana State. Mm-hmm. He was a bobcat. Wildcat, uh, then bob- a bobcat. bobcat. That's right. You're, bobcat. You like the cat. A lot of cats. A lot of cats. A lot of feline. A lot of cats, man. Yeah. Cats everywhere. <laughs> um, I, I actually ended up being the uh, uh, Hall of Fame highest number of wins at Montana State. I won the Big Sky Championship from Montana State. The first person to ever win a Big Sky Championship from Montana State. Did you beat Weber State in the finals? Did you beat any Weber guys? Yeah, I did. It was so fun. Yeah. (laughs) I bet you it was. (laughs) That's great. I I know Jim's background a little bit. I bet you he was kind of like, yeah, I got him. I got one. Yeah. Look what you guys could have had. Yeah. (laughs) Well, my freshman year, you know, things were hard coming off of sure. coming out of uh, Bolitaries, and all you were focused on was yeah. playing professional tennis. Sure. But, um, uh, then when I went back to Montana State, and I played under Jerry Peach. Craig, you got to okay. know that. I remember Coach right? Peach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice guy. Great yeah. name. Yeah. Hard worker. Peach of a we guy. Couldn't Peach. Agree on, we Peach we, we couldn't agree on where you put a period on the end of a sentence. 
<laughs> for four years. <laughs> oh, that's funny. He's, he's a peach of a guy. Just a peach. Just a peach. Just a peach. Yeah. Peach of a guy. And I keep in touch with the guys, all the guys that I trained with, Danny Leal, uh, Bobby, Bobby Blair. Um, Famous coach yeah. now, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, we still always keep in touch, and um, our lives have gone in different directions, but most of us have, you know, there's a, there's a part of us you know, when we trained at Ball of Terry's, we kind of grew up in a in a boot camp of tennis where tennis will always be a part of our life, no yeah. matter what we do. Um, it's just everything we do, somehow you think about tennis. When I walk on a tennis court, I just feel like I'm, I'm at home. I can stand there for 14 hours a day, and I have many times over the years. Um, just grind it out. That's a beautiful thing to hear. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a life. It's a joy to bring to the kids when you yeah. see the kids have a, 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 great, a, a incredible. Once once they understand how fun it is to play the game of tennis, um, how challenging it is, Craig, you know this. Um, it's not an easy game to play, uh, but when they see that they can play it and they have fun doing it, I think it's a great upbringing for the kids. Yeah, and uh, and I, you know, it's it, you mentioned uh, uh, how fun it is yeah. to play, and part of that, of course, is the challenge, is the hard work, it's the overcoming adversity, but it's also this is one of those games you can be so creative too. Right, I love that about tennis. Yeah, Adrian's well, one. Adrian's well, one of us mind, too. Keep in mind, I'm five foot eight, and I was one of the hardest servers in the world back in 1983. Huge serve, huge serve. I oh, yeah. actually served the ball pretty hard. Oh, yeah. But I didn't have the height to keep up with the big boys. Yeah. No, he was, he was a good player. It was yeah. fun uh, being around him for a year, and then I moved on to back to Oklahoma City uh-huh. at that time afterwards. But, hey, let's get started. You know I mean, because we, this is all, we were all just, we're, we're, we're spitballing. This is good stuff. We might this as well. This is great. We yeah, might so as well what, get rolling. Yeah, we'll have you do it again. So what I'm going to do, Jim, this is the unofficial version. We'll officially, you know, clean it up and do some music and that kind of stuff here in the next few days. That'll be some other guys that aren't here right now. So we're just doing the taping, basically, and the recording. Then we'll send it to them. And, uh, you know, we'll... We'll, I'll read something and then we'll, we'll get going. You know, because you sent okay, us the well, rate. Let's talk. Let's talk about my my journey um, being among the homeless. I oh think yeah, that's really important. Oh no, no, no. That, that's that's the, that's, yeah, that's, that's going to be the thrust of the show. That, yeah. Oh yeah, that, no. that, that's that's the what, what we're gonna that's what we're gonna spend the most time on. We we just wanted to get a background. Uh, of yeah, absolutely. Just to just kind of set my, my my sole purpose right now is yes. to talk about. Being about the homeless, it's not about me. It's uh, yep. it's about my time on Skid Row. It's yep. about my time on Venice Beach. It's about my time up in Pacific Palisades. Uh, trying yep. to get America to understand what's going on going on with that's our perfect. homeless. Well, that's that's why we're we're going to give you the floor here in a second. I've got some questions that that uh, we'll ask you, and then you'll you'll have that floor. But well, we, we want to set the floor a little bit with what you've done in tennis, and then we'll yep. spend the majority, the good majority of the time, yeah, we want talking the, about the America we for, we forgot. Yeah, we want a little character development. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Craig, you want to yep. uh, hit us with our intro, our new yep. intro, our mount. Yep. All right. Uh, so give me about uh, twenty seconds, Jim, and then then I'll introduce you. Okay. All right. So. 
Thanks to our Ethernet podcast girl for that fabulous introduction, and welcome fans of the great game. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 15 of Ethernet Podcast with AJC and CB1, who are talking the great game of tennis as, as it, it seems, seems to us. us. Plus, thanks go out to our good amigos at Tex-Mex Production. That would be Darian D. Mac McBrayer and Dave the Brain DeLeo from Back of the House, who are on the soundboards moving the dials and buttons to make us sound like real people. We're, we're real, aren't we? We are not Memorex. We are we're real. Live. Yep. We're live right here. Lastly, be sure to check out our good work on SoundCloud, Fireside, Spotify, iTunes, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, all the important communication sites that you kids find popular. And if you're a female, sorry guys, and would like to read the opening for, in, for the opening intro for the Athenet podcast and be an Athenet podcast girl, let us know. As we are always looking for new female voices to do the intro, even in a foreign language, right? That's right. We like we've the foreign language. Yeah, we've oh, had yeah. a few. It's like great. those. Well, tonight we are honored. It's our privilege to have one of the true gentlemen of the 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 world, actually. Not yeah. I was going to say the U.S., but someone who really gets uh, what what's going on with human human beings, mankind. Uh, mm-hmm. That would be our our friend Jim Sutter, somewhere in California. Is that correct? Are you? Uh, no, I'm down in Arizona now. Oh, you're in Arizona. Arizona. I, came, I came back home to do some uh, recording and document some of the stuff I've done. Ah, I got you. So, you, are you going to go back and forth, you know, to camps and things like that? Is that what you're? It wasn't planned, uh, but I kind of felt like I can't document stuff in a tent. I so I just felt better to come back to uh, Arizona to get some stuff documented, and then I can go back. Gotcha. That makes yeah. that makes sense. So we'll we'll be asking you some more questions about about what you're doing and and uh, the the really interesting work that uh, one man's quest to uh, really help uh, a lot of people out there, especially the homeless uh, population in the U.S. But hey, Jim, tell us just before we get really started into the crux of uh, the America we almost forgot. Uh, tell us a little bit about your tennis background because we're we are a tennis show by nature uh tell us a little bit about uh, you know uh, growing up uh you know where you grew up you know kind of what your tennis uh, journey's been thus far uh you know junior tennis college tennis yeah pro the, tennis. the academy yep. college tennis two, yeah. two colleges yeah tell us all about that well i well i grew up in, i grew up in the um deserted state of wyoming and i actually somehow latched on to tennis at the age of 10 i got pretty good and by the age of 13 I had outgrown the state of Wyoming which is not really hard to do <laughs> uh, so I ended up I ended up going to Nick Voluntary's uh, tennis academy in night in September of 1980 um, and I ended up training there as being part of their original kids that trained there we trained so hard we worked four to four and a half hours every single day on the tennis court. Brutal heat. Uh, we never complained. We weren't allowed to complain. And then um, uh, then you, you started to realize how difficult it was, Craig, as you would understand how difficult it is to become a professional tennis player. Oh, yeah. I'm still pretty good. I mean, I can still hit the ball pretty good, but... You understand, these guys are world-class. They're in a level that goes beyond anything we can imagine. And um, so then I went and I met Craig uh, at Weber State after my uh, years at uh, Voluntaries. I went to my freshman year at Weber State and played there. And then uh, 
went on to Montana State, where I actually became the all-time winningest player for the for Montana State. I was ranked in the top 50 in the nation in, in doubles, and I was the first person to ever win the Big Sky Championship from Montana State. For the mighty Bobcats. Yeah. And, you know, um, maybe, you know, it was... It was kind of fun going against my old coach, Keith Cox, because he had lost faith in me in the uh, fall of 1983. But um, but there was, there was still a camaraderie of all the guys in the Big Sky. We played really hard. And uh, we knew it was just college ball, but uh, it was so much fun, so much to... You know, you work hard with your studies, you work hard with your training, and it was a great, it was probably the greatest experience of my life second to have my kids. Yeah, no, no, no question. You know, Jim was wow. a really good player. You know, for, for Weber, I was up there one year, had the opportunity to be the graduate assistant for uh, the Wildcats, mm-hmm. and uh, many fond memories of Jim and the group that uh, uh, we did a lot of fun things in, in Ogden, and, and hopefully I didn't uh, cause his demise and have to go to Montana State. So that's no, all That's all I got to say. Great. Off the record, do you remember going to Mexico? Oh, yes, I do remember wow. that. Yes, that <laughs> you guys talked me into that under uh, severe duress. You know, it was... Uh, and this was a fun trip, not a play <laughs> satellite. Uh, no, no, and there was no wall at the time either. And I so see. there was... Uh, yeah, the, the, the uh, team that Jim was on uh, caused me... Uh, unmitigated grief and, and were trying to uh, uh, put me under a, a, a lamp with a dark room and, and uh, go to uh, Nogales, uh, Mexico. But Interrogation, we, yes, federales. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm happy you we made it back. We made it back. Back to the border. Everything was fine. Mm-hmm. You had a great time. So quick question, though. Yeah. How did you get down to Bolitaris? Well, I'm just kind of curious how out of Wyoming. You know, well, I, I was in Wyoming, and I was in love with the sport of tennis. And I was playing in the Intermountain section, and I was pretty good. Um, but I wasn't good enough, and I just loved being on the tennis court all day, every day. And uh, sometimes in the summertime, I would train six to eight hours. So when uh, Nick Volatari came out with the Volatari uh, Tennis Academy, um, I just had to go. I wasn't really... A negotiation with the family. We just had to figure out how to pay for it. Um, I just had to go. I mean, I just, I love the sport. I love, I still love the sport. Uh, I still love watching the kids play, uh, seeing the kids, working with the kids on the court. When I get the opportunity to work with the kids on the court, it's the happiest time of my life because tennis brings something out of you that very few sports do. Um, I think one of the things about tennis, Craig, is you know, um, there's no there's no time limit when you're playing tennis. The, there's no the clock. Yeah, not, the match is not over until the until the last point is played, and it teaches you to never, ever, ever give up. And one of my philosophies in life is you don't ever quit. You don't ever give up. You know, a lot of tennis camps have these philosophies of uh, never quit. Well, that's what tennis is all about, is you don't ever quit, and it translates to life. Life is not always easy, and the thing I learned about tennis was when 
when life takes you down, there's not a time limit on life. Um, you just pick yourself up and get back going. When you're in a bad match and things aren't going well, you can still win the match because there's not a time limit on it. And that's one of the things I always loved about the sport is you just keep going. Right. Yep. Yeah. There's like you said. There's we've seen people come back from a set and you know two breaks down you know, to, to win matches. So yep. yeah. There's and if you didn't have that uh, opportunity, if you, if you you could run the clock out like in in, in uh, basketball, basketball, football, football for basketball, sure. Basketball passing around, yeah. football yeah. passing around. You right. Know. Yep. Yep. You can't do that in tennis. Tennis teaches you that it's not over till it's over. Probably, and you and you're the most exposed. Maybe other than boxing, you know, because we're watching uh, the WTA finals right now. I mean, you're, you're, you're exposed out there just by yourself. And the one thing about tennis, which I, I, I kind of like, but then also I'd like to see some coaching also, too. Uh, you're out there by yourself. you got to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. life, too. Yeah, I mean, there's no manual. There's no manual for kids. There's no manual for really, uh, you know, life in general. You just kind of do do with life what, what, what throws your, your way, and you got to adjust on yeah, the fly. Yeah, adjust, problem solve. Um, you've really got to have a clear head. All right. Yep. And then... Uh, yeah, you know, um, I, 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 I'm still more traditional, Craig, because I still kind of believe in the idea of you, you go out on that tennis court, Jimmy Connors going out on the tennis court and having bathroom problems. I don't know if you remember that match. <laughs> yes. That was the uh, 82 <laughs> U.S. Open final yeah. with Lendl. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, you know what? Life is hard. It, um, and this might... Uh, translate into the further part of the story about the homeless life is hard yeah um, it you got to kind of work through the you know there's there's no timeline on life you're not going to wake up tomorrow and be dead uh you're, you're going to wake up tomorrow and you got to get through tomorrow and i what i saw is like these people have to understand how to pick themselves up right and it's- i think tennis really teaches you um the kids that Okay, you fell for the last hour and a half, but you're still in the match, so you still have a chance to win. And I think that's a great lesson on life. So what did you do after college, up until we get to, to uh, this quest you're on? What, what have you been doing? Did you teach? Did you? I, I taught tennis for nine years. Okay. Um, I taught tennis from the time from 1984 all the way to 91 or 92. Mm. Okay. And I built up a huge program in the state of Wyoming. Okay. Oh, you moved back. Okay. I introduced the sport of tennis to over 1,000 kids. Tremendous. And it was a lot of fun because 1,000 kids, if you look at the population of Wyoming, 1,000 kids is a pretty big debt in the entire state. That's that's Uh, everybody. That's, yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And um, then... um, then I moved to Denver uh, in 93. I had twins, uh, taught them tennis. Congratulations. Um, yes. Girl, boy, or, yeah. or both? Uh... A boy and a girl. Yeah. Okay. And my daughter is a courageous uh, exploration. I mean, we just had a conversation right before you guys called about it, going to Alaska to through the Yukon. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, that's not a normal conversation you have with the 23-year-old daughter. No, not at all, yeah. Y- y- y'all are adventuresome. That Sutter family likes to 
do wild and wacky things. As, get out right? there, get in the get in the air, fresh air. Right. And, and uh, when I told her I was going to go live among the homeless for a while, she said, well, don't go write the same story everybody else does. And I, I thought that was pretty amazing that she had even thought about it. Yeah, even think about uh, that. Yeah. yeah, that's good insight from a young kid. That's yeah. great. Yes, and then, uh, so fast forward to kind of where you are today. Did you live in Arizona, or where, where's your home base? I moved to Arizona a couple years back. Okay. And... I'd been here, um, kind of, I had been involved in a number of business dealings, and I just finally decided to kick back for a little bit, and I, in the middle of the, the entire process, I have no idea, Craig, something said to me, why don't you, you know, I'm watching the news, I watch the news like anybody else, we all talk about the homeless, right? Right. Okay, I was privileged enough to say, why don't I go live with them and try to find out a little bit more about the story? Yeah. And that's about, that's about as extent as the thought went. And when I had that thought, I said, okay, I'm going to go down. I'm going to buy a pack. Um, I was already in pretty good shape. I've never let myself get out of shape and decided to start getting in shape and say, I'm going to go live with the homeless and try to find out the story behind this. Very inquisitive. So was this just in the last couple of months, let's say, that you were watching TV? Because I'm, I'm fascinated by the timeline. Yeah, when so, this yeah, idea was When born. this idea was okay, it six months okay. ago? You know, there, Halloween there last year? There was a moment in my life where okay. I drove Uber Eats and up in Boulder, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's so many homeless in, in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, it's just amazing. And I watch every single day. And somehow I started wondering, why the hell are they sitting on the side of the street asking for money? Mm, I saw them at McDonald's in the morning. I saw them at McDonald's in the evening. And somehow it started bugging me, like, what the heck? Why aren't these guys working? There's so many jobs. Sure, yeah. And it kind of bugged me, but, you know, we all try to pay our bills in the morning, so... So I didn't really give it a whole lot of thought, but then when I took a little bit of time off, I started thinking, um, watching the stories on the news channels, how the homeless is growing in San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, Los Angeles. Los Angeles, yeah. Even San Diego, I'm reading. And something triggered in me this summer, late July, early August, where I said, you know... Maybe I want to go inside that story and, and find out why are these people homeless. And it, once it set in, it was just, it was kind of like a done deal. I had already decided, by the time I decided, it was, it was, I'm going to go and I'm going to try to understand why are these people homeless. And you had nothing other than just a, a thought. Some something just came to your mind, and uh, an inkling, uh, just an you know, an epiphany. Oh, I, Craig, I believe that we live in the greatest nation in the world. Absolutely, I'll, I'll second that. Okay, and I don't understand why. I, I I have a better understanding now. But I I was sitting there going, I don't understand why do we live in this great nation with more jobs available than we have people to fill the jobs. 
why do we have people who are homeless? Yeah, and that's a great question. I mean, that's yeah. that's a for, for some guys like middle aged guys sitting around, yeah. you know, uh, recording this thing. I, I wonder that myself too. I mean, I'm I'm fascinated as we get further into this, you know, to really you know catch what you what you've got going with this thing. Mm. So so I was in a situation where I was free to say, you know, uh, I'm just going to go find out why. Um, I'm not going to go ask a politician. I'm not going to go ask a government official. I'm going to go and I'm going to live with them. And uh, I'm going to sit in their camps and I'm going to walk with them on their streets. Mm. And I'm going to understand what it's really like to be in this world so that I can understand why are they there? Why aren't they doing something else? And um, that was what triggered my senses to just say, you know, I'm just going to go. And then I can tell a story that comes from the inside, not from the outside. Right. Now, this is the first-hand approach as opposed to somebody saying it's second or third-hand. Mm. You know, right. Somebody told right. me this story or somebody told me that story. This is actually, just for your own curiosity, you've got... Uh, uh, this idea. So, what were what were your what were your main thoughts? Your focus, you know, just kind of going into this before you started visiting. Did you have an idea, you know, kind of set in stone? Was there anything that you no, a preconceived I, notion I was, I, that you I thought? Was absolutely, I was absolutely committed that I'm going to this with no preconceptions about why right. they're homeless. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm I fascinated. To, you know, my own political views mm-hmm. I had to push aside. Sure. Um, my own viewpoints. I pushed those all aside and just said, I'm going to go and listen to their stories. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of stories. I can imagine. So you're being like the Swiss. You're neutral right now. So you're neutral, Jim. Neutral, open, and uh, setting aside your biases or your uh, your views beforehand. Right. But you get your biases real quick once you're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so now that you're a few weeks into this process... Has the focus shifted? Has it changed you from what you thought initially when you went in into this uh, a couple of months ago, let's say? Uh, Absolutely. Okay. Good, bad, or different. Tell, tell us yeah, about. Tell us about yeah. the change. Tell, tell, um, tell what you think. Uh, I, I want to try to couch this so that that doesn't sound. What I saw was okay. First of all. The predominant view I have is from Skid Row and from Santa Monica, Venice Beach, and uh, uh, the Palisades. Sure. Okay. Um, It was predominantly drug addictions. Okay. And when I say predominantly, in all the conversations I had, I only met two people that I could actually say that were not addicted to drugs. Interesting. And when I say drugs, I'm talking about heroin. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about meth. I, I'm not talking about marijuana. These I'm are hard, hardcore stuff. These people, are... I have interviews from people who were so hooked on drugs that they couldn't finish the interview because they either passed out in the inter- middle of the interview or they walked out because they couldn't stand waiting for their next hit of heroin. Really? They were the, even within 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever you were talking no, to? No, 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 no. No, Craig, we're talking like two minutes. Two? Yeah. Oh, wow. So you, your interviews were short format. What kinds of questions were you asking? 
Um, how did they end up homeless? Yep. Uh, did they have any addictions? Um, did they want to be homeless? Um, I only had a couple people actually say they did not want to be homeless. Interesting. They found... The saddest part about the, uh, the time I was there um, was that it was a convenient way to, for them to buy drugs, and they could buy heroin cheaper than you could put a gallon of gasoline in your tank. Really? It was that inexpensive? Oh, it's so, it's so unbelievably cheap. They can get heroin so quick. Great. I saw a person buy heroin within one minute of giving him a $20 bill, and this is the guy that was working for me. Interesting. Okay. Because they, they, they know where, where it's located. They know who, the, who uh, to go right, talk to. It's right there. Anywhere on Skid Row, you can buy drugs within minutes. Legally? Is that legal or is that illegal? No, it's not legal. But okay, yeah. But the, the, LA's not, LA's can't police it. They look the other way. So it's, it's tolerated, not necessarily enforced. It's not enforced. Okay. Mm. And but, but police were probably around. Were there some type of authority around that was trying to keep this thing kind of somewhat uh, uh, in check? No. No. Wow. Okay, so. No. If you go on Skid Row, the only time the police come in is if someone calls them for an emergency action. Really? Otherwise, it's just them policing themselves, if they do that. It's a total free-for-all. Interesting. Okay. Is there an honor amongst them somehow, some way? Or is there, how no. do they keep themselves, you know? No. No. Okay, so it's just. No, everybody's trying to rob from everybody. Okay, mm. so, so it's basically, if, if if they can see an opening in something, then they're, they're going for it, basically. Yeah. You can't leave, like, okay, so you saw you saw pictures of me with my pack, right? That's true. Yeah, we, yeah, post, sure. we posted a few, too. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, I could not go to the bathroom unless I packed up my entire tent, all of my belongings, and put them in my pack, put the pack on, and then went to go to the bathroom. So there's no way even, you didn't want to leave anything of value. You that, could not leave anything for two seconds. Really? Because it was gone in, in a second and it a half. It was gone. It was gone faster than you could blink. Interesting. So somebody's always got prying eyes. People are are looking. Well, there's just always people walking by, and they, if they see something of value, they just take it. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers, yeah. huh? basically. Right. If they don't think of it as theft. They think of it as abandoned property. Ah, okay. <laughs> That's their own social justice. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and uh, I want to I want to talk about one other thing, if I may. Oh yeah, no, keep keep going. Yeah, we're yeah, we're fast. Um, yeah, go ahead. The 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 concept of what you and I or what we would all consider normal diplomatic conversations with another person. Yes, that's completely out the door. I had really? people. I I was living on ramen and tuna packs. Yeah, yeah. We and saw you with your. Just walk right up to me, right to my face, and say, give me some of that. Interesting. Like, hey, don't, like, would you mind sharing? It's just like... No, no, there was none of that. There was no eggs. That was, it was just right out, give me some of that. Really? And... There was was no, no diplomacy, like, I'm hungry, give me some of that. I'm hungry, can you help me out? It was just walk up and, and... 
just say, give me some of that. Um, now, when it came to money, they were a little bit more diplomatic. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, huh. With money, with money, it was. If I, I I equated to the theory of if they ask you for a dollar and you didn't give it, then they assume that their strategy for asking you for a dollar was wrong. I so see. they changed their strategy and asked it a different way. Hmm. But they didn't mind uh, you asking. Could, you could be asked three or four times for a dollar from the same person. Just different strategy. Hey, J- Jim, I yeah. need. To, I, I want to ask you also, when you're walking among the homeless and they're asking you for, like, give me, not asking, they are telling you to give you give them some of your salmon or tuna or ramen, um, do, they cons- do they do that with each other or was that different because they had some inkling that you weren't? A, a homeless guy, and you were no. Uh, they, no I, I was by by the time this by the time uh, uh, looking the homeless within a couple days. I see. <laughs> it didn't take long, huh? You know, I did try to wash my face uh-huh. for the videos, but I I looked pretty homeless really quick. They, I was the person with a pack. Yeah. And by definition, I had value. Gotcha. Um, I had belongings, and so therefore I was a target. Right, because they tell you you're different. They, do they know you're from the outside coming in and kind of look at you like, what's this guy up to? Do they ever, you ever feel like that? Like there's, you know. Yeah. In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. Okay. Um, but it didn't dissuade anyone from asking. I, I okay. honestly could not walk a block in Santa Monica without getting asked for money. Hmm. Do, do you ever feel and they don't They don't do the uh, uh, panhandlers cardboard signs they just hit you up for money anywhere anytime directly yeah. hmm. you know there's times i found an oak tree on the side of santa monica and i was tired and i set my pack down and i laid sit back on the pack and i wasn't a minute later somebody come up hey do you have a dollar and that dollar i and i want to be really clear on this and this this is part is most disappointing for me was that dollar did not go towards food. food. Mm-hmm. That dollar went straight towards drugs. Right. Interesting. They, not, not even alcohol. Straight to drugs. No, they don't do alcohol. On, on, they almost don't do alcohol. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're, they're not, not... the ones in California. They're not hitting... too expensive. They're not hitting the Colt 45 of the old Milwaukee. It's, it's oh, all... no. No, it's, no. They're hitting heroin. Heroin, meth, anything like that, that that's going to, you know... Mm. Heroin was the cheapest. Heroin, yeah. you could get a really good hit for five bucks. So, did you ever feel like you you were in danger? Did anybody, you you know, like have a shank out there? Like, hey man, you better give me, you know, your salmon, or else I'm gonna, yeah. you know, you know, knife you yeah, or something like yeah, that. Yes, that's why I came back to Arizona. Okay, I, I just got tired of being scared. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So that's probably something Damn. interesting. So that wow. so you felt like there were there was probably some immediate danger. All the time, twenty-four hours a day, or maybe at, at nighttime, or you know, when when did you? Well, in my when I was on Skid Row, I was pretty well protected. Uh, when I was in Santa Monica, I was protected, but when I went back into LA, I wasn't protected, and I I really felt like you know I had a I had a MacBook Pro with me, and yeah. I, you know I. I I was a high tech homeless guy. Right. Um, <laughs> and there came a part where I said, 
you know what? I just need to go home and rest. I was so tired. Um, Two weeks? I knew that, you know, even though I had a beard going, um, there was part of me carrying this really big pack that somehow people knew I was not a normal homeless person. Yep. And they would do anything to get into my tent and get anything I had. Yeah. uh, All time, all hours of the day. Yep. Yep. Three o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon. They didn't care. Interesting. You didn't get any sleep. Yeah. I got some sleep, but it was like two hours of really good REM sleep, Mm -hmm. and then wake up for two hours, and then two hours of really good REM sleep. it It was really bizarre, because I'd wake up in the morning and feel pretty rested, so I was I was ready to get up and get on the road, but after about eight to ten days, you you just are tired. Your body is not responding the way it's supposed to respond here. So did uh, so, uh, I need to rest? Sure. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Did did uh, so, so were, were most of the homeless supportive? Would you say of of you well, being out okay, there? Okay. Okay. So on the street especially on Skid Row, you don't ever have to worry about food or water. Okay. Okay. Food yeah. and water is provided in high quantities, and they never have to worry about having food to eat. So you're not going hungry? No. Okay. Now, I'm not saying it's convenient. Right. But, yeah. but there is food. If you saw on the map that I put on my um, one of my videos... Uh, Skid Row is kind of like a six by six block. It is, yeah, I saw that. Six yeah. blocks, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And throughout the weekdays, there's a number of uh, missions that provide free food for the homeless, free water. Um, and then on Saturdays, people come from all over Los Angeles. They pack their SUVs with free water and free food, and uh, they just hand it out. These are, these are citizens, not yeah. government folks. Just citizens. Yep. Just good na- nature people like yourself that were just yep. wanting to, just they knew that this, that people were around this area, so they were just going to go out and do whatever. Did you ever talk to them? Did they talk to you, those people? I like, talked to them shortly, um, you know, but I kind of looked like one of them, one <laughs> of the homeless, so they thought I was one of the homeless, so. <laughs> Did you say, hey, no, I got uh, a MacBook Pro. <laughs> I'm a tennis guy. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to play the role. Right, yeah, it's true. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of the uh, things that I found probably most disturbing was that, and I'm only talking about Skid Row, and I'm only talking about Santa Monica, Venice Beach, and the Palisades. Uh, they don't have to worry about food, and they don't have to worry about water. So they can take all the money that they get from anybody that hands them money, and they turn it into drugs, and they right. turn it into drugs really fast. Interesting. So do you think other homeless people do the same thing? I'm just curious. I don't know, Craig. Yeah. Craig, um, you know, my time in Boulder, when I when I first kind of started thinking about this quest, yeah. I, I didn't think... You know, I saw homeless people in McDonald's every single day when I was driving Mm -hmm. Uber Eats. Right. And 
I didn't think they were that hooked on drugs. I don't think it, I, I really can't equate what I saw in Boulder to what I see, saw in uh, um, Skid Row. Right. Mm. Uh, Skid Row was 100% drugs. So a different level of homelessness, possibly. Yeah. Possible. Yeah. And that's why I want to go back and right. try to find out if there's a different story that I'm missing. Right. But in Santa Monica... You had two different types of homeless. You had the homeless that were on drugs, and then you had the homeless that were actually trying to make a living to get out of the homeless situation. And they were holding, uh, uh, there was part of uh, Venice Beach that allowed for uh, street vendors to portray their art and whatnot right there on the beach, and they could sell their art, and that's how they were getting out of the their homeless situation. Okay, yeah, so there's some people that are really wanting to get out of Skid Row or whatever that situation is, was, could be. So there's, would you say that that was a, a rare occurrence, maybe with, with those people? Well, on, on Santa Monica, on, on Venice Beach, okay, you got Santa Monica, and Venice yeah. Beach is just south of Santa Monica. Okay. Venice Beach is about 're they're, they're, they get it they're, they're not so drug minded that uh, whatever their situation circumstances might have been they're, they're trying to pull themselves out they're in transition right. that, then, if you turn to the right then all you have are people who are just trying to get drugs and they're just committed to living a life on drugs interesting and it set me to a point that I just it reminded me of going back to Skid Row. Because on Skid Row, everybody just wanted to do drugs. The people on the right are probably the ones wanting your back, your pack, if, even if you're gone two seconds. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually did leave my pack for a couple seconds on the left. And, the, and that was just fine. To fill, just to fill yeah. a Gatorade bottle with water, right? Yeah. I actually walked away for like 30 seconds. That's the longest I ever left my pack the entire time. Gotcha. But um, because you have the you have the um, transients that are still walking down, but the people who are uh, working the, the, the street vendors, as I called them, um, they were working really hard. I mean, they were good people. I went up to talk to them. They wouldn't let me turn my camera on. Hmm. But they would talk to me, and they're like, I don't want to be homeless. They, I want to sell my goods, try to make a living, and and they were all fixated. Everybody was fixated on California. Really? Um, they, they just, you know, even the, the people who were on drugs were like, well, I'm in California, so I don't care if I'm on drugs. Mm. Mm. I don't understand that. Uh, never did understand it. Um you know, Skid Row in California, Skid Row in New York, Skid Row in Baltimore, what does it matter? Right. Yeah. Did, so did these people's 
did they think about their families, or they're so far gone now that... Oh, no, they're so far gone. Craig, yeah. I talked about their families in all these interviews. Yeah. Good. Last time they saw them was 10 years ago, maybe, 5 years 26 ago. 26 years ago, 15 years ago, 18 years ago. Um, and no remorse. No remorse, not really, or... Nothing. Nothing. No, nothing. Craig, what you and I would think of a human being... And I hate to say this, but now ATL, if you go back on my videos and you yep. see ATL. Yeah, I remember that guy. Okay. He was, he'd been on the street for 26 years. Mm-hmm. That's a long time. Yeah, methamphetamines, all the drugs. He doesn't have any idea how to stop doing drugs. Hmm. He has no clue. But he doesn't want to do it anymore. He actually said to me on the site, on camera, by the way, and I haven't posted this yet. I, um, he actually said, I don't want to be on the street anymore. I'm tired. This is not a way to live. But, I've been but, doing this too long. By the way, for our listeners and our viewers, we'll link, we'll provide a yes. link to the, these videos there. Yes. They are startling and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and remarkable. Yeah. So, how, what about... Your family and friends, have they been supportive? Well, they weren't really happy. (laughs) (laughs) They're going, Jim, what the hell are you doing, man? Come on, you know. Um, My dad was really against it. My mom went ballistic. Really? Um, My my son was somewhat okay with it. My daughter, the adventurous one, said, well, Dad, if you're going to go do it, at least write a story that's better than all the other stories written. The different story. Hey, Jim, while we're on that, give us a quick quick synopsis of what the typical uh, I spent time with the homeless story would be, and then maybe you can can, uh, tell us a bit more about how different your story is. Pick one of the three. It was meth, it was heroin, yep. yeah. it was... It, it, cocaine was not a... You know, cocaine was not a part of that conversation. That, that was too... Um, too uh, not enough juice in the system, probably. Probably not. I don't wow. know. I asked which kind of drugs are most popular. Um, but heroin was definitely the leading thing. And you could walk up and down the street with a hit of heroin... And you could give up. It just saddens me that I understand that it's hard to come off of drugs, but they had given up. What I saw was no hope. I saw no hope in their eyes. They just wanted to live out their lives doing drugs. Every day, yeah. Every day, well... If you do drugs, you have to do them every day. Right. The body um, requires that. The body won't accept not doing it every day. Um, but I saw... When you, Craig, you know what it is when you look in that person's eyes and you can see hope or you can't see hope? Sure. I saw no hope. Just despondency, despair. I, I haven't got you, much left, so who cares? Just give me, give me drugs or give me money so I can buy drugs. And I, I did, by the way, off the record, or on the record, 
however you want to do it. Um, I did run into a couple people who were homeless that were homeless by choice and not by drugs. And I cornered them. And I, I went up and I questioned them. I was like, why are you doing this? And they said, well, I wanted to live this way by choice. I'm like, that's just crazy. I've been doing this for five days and I hate it. I hate every hmm. second I'm doing it. What, they just wanted to check out for a, a little bit? What was their... What did they say? They just didn't want to work for the man. Oh. I said, well, who's the man? And <laughs> yeah. they said, well, the guy that's paying you. I'm like, well, that's because he's paying you. Everybody's got a man. <laughs> Everybody has a man. The, the, Bob, the Bob Dylan line, uh, everybody's got to serve somebody. Right. Yeah. Right. And they just said, well, I just dropped out. I'm like, well, you know, when I saw that, I got really disgusted. At least I had some compassion for the people that were on drugs, that they were caught in a world that they couldn't get out of. Mm. But I, the, the few people, and I only saw two, that were actually homeless by choice. Two, okay. Out of the, I was, and I, I was going to ask this question a while back, were there hundreds or thousands, or what would you say? Well, there's 6,000 there's 6, people on Skid Row. 6,000, okay. Wow, Okay, 6, and that's 000. a six-by-six six block area. Wow, 6,000 people. That's a lot. That's just on Skid Row. Right. Yeah. And then when you go down to Santa Monica and then you you work down to Venice Beach, um, on Venice Beach they actually had a cordoned off area for the homeless and it was so drug ridden that there was no way I was going to stay there. I haven't posted the video. The video shows me walking down the street and there's a guy walking halfway naked down the street and saying, I'm not going to sleep here. i got to find another place to camp. Mm. Uh, 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 but the... Uh, what's, what's the... Would you say... Let me ask you a question. Most interesting thing that's happened to you thus far. What's, what's really the most interesting thing that if somebody, you know, you, you're like, wow, that, that was really... Other than just uh, the drugs uh, and that uh, kind of stuff. Uh, Okay, ATL had a big ATL had a big effect on me because he was a smart guy. Right. I mean, you and I could have a conversation with him, and you would not know he was homeless for two seconds. Kind of like what we're doing right here. We're just talking. Couple yeah. couple yeah. people just talking. ATL and... had a big effect on me. I was I actually got mad at him. I actually started yelling at him. Um, I actually told. I actually screamed at him. You got to get off drugs. Got it, you know, dude. You got to get right. You're, you're worth saving. Uh, There's a guy on uh, Camp Dead End. His name was T. Uh, they don't go by their real names, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't want you to know. T seemed like he was worth trying to get off drugs. There was this other girl named Jennifer. She was drop dead beautiful. Uh, Freaking. Uh, she could be a Vogue mob. Really? Oh yeah, she was. She was pretty. She was a black girl. She had kind of a reddish black hair, and she was so hooked on heroin that in the middle of our interview, she just stopped and walked out and said, "I can't talk to you anymore. I need a hit." Hmm. Wow. And you and you, and you look at it going, "Girl, you can make like." hundred bucks in, in 15 minutes on Vogue magazine mm. 
And I ran into her on the way back. When I came back from uh, the coast and I came back into L.A. and I was walking down the streets of L.A. with my 55-pound pack. <laughs> and she looked at me and she goes, you got a dollar? And I said, I know you. I know you. She said, your name's Jennifer. She didn't remember said, you. Oh, yeah, you're the guy writing the story. Okay. And I said, yeah. I said, how are you doing? She goes, I'm fine. Do you have a dollar? <laughs> that was not. Okay, good. Uh, how about that buck? Yeah. And I and I said, Jennifer, why are you, you don't belong on the street. And she just looked at me like, no answer. These drugs get into you. They don't get out. Um, and that's all they care about. And that dollar, that dollar, and that drug, that next hit. That dollar is that dollar isn't a dollar. That dollar is drugs. Yeah. I sat with a guy doing um, uh, drug deals. Hmm. Yeah. That. Now, yeah. Tell us about that. It was that. So that you, you know, you, it's not as dramatic as you would think. Yeah. Uh, you're just sitting there. A guy comes up. He's like, "I got five bucks," and the guy would say, "I got five dollars worth of." this and and uh, it's not as dramatic as you think there's a little bit of looking around making sure that the police weren't there and sure. that, that was about the extent of it it was just I mean the, the way that drugs have affected our society at this point if, if, if you want to talk about getting rid of homeless you got to talk about getting rid of drugs I don't have the answer to that I didn't come up with the answer to that but I did come to the answer that these people are on drugs. They want to be on drugs. Their body is addicted to drugs. And they... They don't know how to get off of it, sounds like, either. Well, Los Angeles... Okay, I'm trying to compare, and I don't want to take up too long here. No, no. But there, is a, there was a you difference got time. between Los Angeles and Santa Monica. There is. It's interesting. Okay. And we're talking about three miles, four miles. Yeah, four or five miles. Yeah. Um, How so? In Los Angeles, they had set up Skid Row where a place could just, people could just live there in their tents. And as you saw in my video, they are not really tents. Yeah, it's it's cardboard and tarps uh, and yeah, duct you tape. Saw, you saw them, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. These, those are real pictures that I witnessed firsthand. I mean, that. But these people can go down to the general general administration office and they can get $230 cash every month and they can get $210 in food stamps. Really? Yeah, and you know what they do with food stamps, don't you? Uh, uh, Sell them to somebody? Sell them. Yeah. They sell them for cash for... Right, because they can get food for free. Right, yeah, because they've already got food for $210... I was offered a $210 food stamp for 50 bucks. I'm like, well, really, you know, I'm not in that game, so sorry, I'm not going to help. But they they just turn it into more money for drugs, and five bucks will buy you a hit of heroin. So $210, and there's 6,000 people that are getting these $210 vouchers? Yeah. Wow, man, that's just a lot of money mm-hmm. we're giving away. Not that I'm, I'm just making an observation. I'm not... Trying to make any no, type of when, when when I get done with the entire video series, um, because I took in a wealth of information in a very short period of time. Definitely. Um, 
you know, people people working so hard to help them live a normal life. But these people have, I'm not trying to judge, I am not trying to judge a person addicted to drugs. I don't know it, I don't understand it, uh, but they, these people that come down to help them, give them food, they give them water, therefore they can take all the dollars that they get and they can turn it in, into drugs. And I watched it firsthand. I watched it, um, I gave ATL 20 bucks and he turned it into drugs in less than five minutes. Yeah, man, that's, that's... I don't know if that's disappointing or if that's like, wow, that's unreal. That uh... Well, I don't know if you want to say it's disappointing or not disappointing, but what we have to say is it's not a homeless crisis, Craig. Right. It's, it's a drug problem. Drug crisis. Yeah, so the crisis more on the drug world than it is the homeless. Yeah. And these people have lost communication with their families. I couldn't imagine talking to my... I couldn't imagine going an entire... I have a... I haven't gone two weeks in my life without talking to my father yeah. or my mother. Sure. You know, they're both they're both alive, and they're both kicking. Huh. Um, I have never gone two weeks without talking to my father or mother, let alone 26 years, right. 18 years, 16 years. Um, I couldn't imagine that. You take these people off of drugs, and I guarantee you in 10 days they'll talk to their family. Yeah. So is that- all of a sudden... The light comes on. <clears throat> I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm not apologetic about it. Um, you take away the drugs and you take away the addiction, and in 10 days, all of a sudden, these people will get back to their family, get back on the street, or get back, get off the street, excuse me, and they'll become a part of society. They'll, become, they'll live a more enriching and enjoyable life. But right now, all we do is we stick them in skid row, and it's easy for them to get drugs. And you know what? If you're addicted to it, you wake up in the morning, you eat a hit, you go sit on the street, you get five bucks, and you go buy it. It's just the saddest thing you've ever seen. It's a cycle that it has to be undone. Hey guys, this is Dave the Brain with Tex-Mex Productions. Thank you so much for listening. Go ahead and switch over to part two of this interview and enjoy the podcast.